We turn in God's Word this morning, as I've been referring to, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, for those of you visiting with us upon this Lord's Day, we've been uh, in a series on the book of Hebrews uh, under Pink's uh, title of the supremacy of Christ. So this morning we look at the supremacy of Christ and the fact that he provides the greater rest. The supremacy of Christ, the greater rest. Hebrews chapter 4, this morning we'll be considering verses 1 through 13. This evening, the Lord willing, we'll look at verses 14, 15, and 16 as Christ as the supreme high priest. Verse 1, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, justice to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed, Enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whosoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, for all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. As far as the reading of God's breathed out word to us this morning, let's again bow in prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, we thank you for this portion of your word your true and spoken word. We ask that you will be with Pastor Bob as he speaks on this word, that it may be a blessing unto us, and that we may understand it more clearly. This we ask in your name alone. Amen. And amen. So there'll be four points to our message this morning. First of all, we look at the promise of rest. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, We begin again this chapter with that word, therefore. Uh, This is four times previous to this 
The author of Hebrews has brought that to our attention. Therefore, this now, chapter 4, verse 1, is number 5. So there is always on the author's mind, that which he is saying has an implication. That which has gone before has some implication over that which he is now speaking. And so if we look back at the close of chapter 3, we are reminded then of Christ as the one in whom is our confidence, the one in whom we look to. And because we are looking to Christ, therefore there remains a promised rest for God's people. What is this promised rest that is being spoken of here? Well, we could do it in this way. It's not physical, but it's spiritual. This is not the rest of uh, putting our feet up in our favorite lounge chair. This is not uh, getting our comforters on the uh, couch that we love to lay on and snuggling up underneath a warm blanket and taking a little snooze or a rest. This is not... uh, falling asleep on our deluxe mattresses and getting a good night's rest. That's physical rest. But what is promised here and what is spoken of here is not, yeah, I'll let you sleep as much as you want. No, it's a spiritual rest. It's a resting that comes to us spiritually by faith. Calvin describes it this way. It's being in the presence of God. True rest is being in God's presence. Coram Deo. The highest happiness of man is to be united with his God. That's the rest. There, while the promise of entering his rest, his presence, This is the greatest blessing, the greatest joy that we as God's people can have. It's not a physical rest in the sense that we think of it here. It's that resting always in the presence of God for all of eternity. Because you see, it's not temporary. It's not temporary. It's an eternal rest, an eternal rest that begins at the moment that you and I are born again. At that moment, we are ushered in through Christ's righteousness into the very presence of God, a presence that is secure, a presence that cannot be taken away, an inheritance that is ours. Forever guarded and kept by our Lord Jesus Christ. Here we begin to experience a part of that. There is a Sabbath rest. There is this promised rest that you and I, this spiritual rest of being in the presence of God, it's not temporary. It's not just just for a few moments. It's not every once in a while. But as believers, it is eternal. 
It's that which begins and never ends. It is also not withdrawn, but continuing, continuing. See, remember who he's writing to. He's writing to to Hebrews. He's writing to Jewish believers who are always wondering, whatever happened to the promises of God? Right? There's always the question about the promises of God. Israel and Judah's history is an up and down, an up and a down, and an up and a down. And as a nation, they're, they're certainly in a down as this is being written. They're under Roman rule. Their nation has been divided into all sorts of segments. The power of Rome is, is crushing them. And the question would be, if you're reading through the Old Testament, where is this rest? Where, where is this rest? Has God backed away from his promise? Is the promise that God has made to us that we shall enter his rest been withdrawn? Notice the author of Hebrews. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. See, it hasn't been withdrawn. It's been misunderstood, but it hasn't been withdrawn. God's promise of rest, he is saying, is always there. There is always that invitation. There is also always that offer of the gospel. There is always God coming and announcing, as he did through Isaiah in that passage, repent, Repent, turn from your wicked ways. Come and enjoy my goodness. The author of Hebrews is saying not only to these recipients of this letter, but saying to you and I as well. God's offer of rest is still being made. While you and I have breath, the offer, to enter in to that rest. His presence still stands. It's not withdrawn. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to come to know the fullness and the beauty and the wonder of being in the presence of God. Man's highest joy. The greatest blessing that we can ever experience in life is to be in God's presence, face to face with Christ my Savior. There is no greater blessing. There is no higher joy. And God extends that. That offer still stands. And it will stand until the day that Christ comes. The promise of rest. Secondly, the examples of rest. Now here's where it got misunderstood. Particularly the second one. The first example 
that the author provides is the example of the Sabbath day. What the author is saying is that the Sabbath day, the Lord's day, the day of rest, was not an end in itself. It wasn't to be, okay, that's it. This, the reason I give you the Sabbath is for the Sabbath's sake. No. No, it's only but an example of something greater. Now, let's go to a little exercise. Keep your finger here at Hebrews chapter 4. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1. Once in a while, little things pop out at you, right? And you come to learn and to see different things that you probably knew. It's probably there in the back of your head, but maybe you never made the connection as to why it's there or not there. So we're back in Genesis chapter 1. I want you to, I'm going to take you through the end of each day. Verse 5, day 1 ends with, God called the light day and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Go down to verse 8. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Go down to verse 13. Third day. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Go down to verse 19. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Go down to verse 23. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. Go down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Now listen to what happens in chapter 2. Thus the heavens and earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations. What's missing? What isn't there? What happens when you get to the seventh day that has been a pattern for day one, two, three, four, five, six? What's not there? There is no morning and there is no evening. Now, let's step back. Wasn't there a morning on the seventh day? Sure there was. Was there an evening on the seventh day? Yes. Well, then why isn't it recorded? It's recorded for all the other six. Because the Sabbath is an emblem of eternal rest. It is a sign. There is no beginning and no end to the Sabbath rest. There is no beginning and there is no end to being in the presence of God. It is an eternal rest that we are invited to. And the Sabbath, this day, is a symbol of it. This is a sign of it. The reason we take one out of seven days to cease from our work is not only to follow the command of God to not work, to follow the example of God and to not engage 
in his creative work. But it's to be reminded of that which is coming, that which lies before, that which right now we are beginning to participate in, we are beginning to experience. When we worship, we are in the very presence of God. God welcomes us. God dismisses us. God calls us into his presence. And we have this opportunity, this glimpse upon this day to begin and end with the reminder that the rest that God promises us is an eternal rest. And this day stands as the sign and the symbol. The rest here does not mean idleness. The rest here does not mean lounging around. The rest here means a change of activity. What do you think God did on the Sabbath day? What do you think God did? Well, he rested. Rested from what? The work he had done on the first six days. Did God sleep? Did God nap? Did God cease to do anything? Well, if he did, all the work that he had done on days one through six was shot because everything would have gone kaflui. He still did his work of providence. Was not God still being providential on the sixth day? Was not God still watching over Adam and Eve who were created on the sixth day? Was not God still providing for them? Was not God still the Lord? Oh, he didn't do his works of creation, but he wasn't idle. He didn't waste it. He didn't use it to do nothing. He didn't do it because, oh man, I'm so tired from days one through six. I just need a day just bring up my comfy and wrap myself in it and take a good long nap. Now it's a picture, you see, not of idleness, but of spiritual activity. That which engages the soul. That which lies before us for all of eternity. The second example we find in verses 5 and 6 of Hebrews 4, right? In verses 5 and 6, the verse 4 is about the seventh day God rested from his works, right? 5 and 6, they shall not enter my rest. What, what's that passage all about? Well, that was, remember, from last week, Psalm 95. The Psalm written as a... Re- as a reminder of their rejection of being able to enter the land of Canaan, the land of rest. Remember, they're at Kadesh Barnea and this whole story of the spies that we went through last Lord's Day. And they said, no, we're not going to enter that. But you see, Canaan there was the symbol of rest. It was the symbol of home. It was the symbol of the end of their journey. And they said, no, we don't want to enter. No, we don't want to go there. No, we don't think we can. And so God said, well, then you will not enter my rest then. I I won't 
allow you to enter it. But Canaan was that picture. But once again, it wasn't an end in itself. See, that's what, that's what the mistake was. That's what the error was that the Jews made. They made Canaan an end in itself. And there are many today who make Israel an end in itself. And God says it's not the end. It's only but a sign. It's only but a symbol. It's only but a picture. That's its purpose. That's what I used it for in the Old Testament. A picture of that place of eternal rest. That place of Jerusalem the golden with milk and honey blessed. Not a piece of ground in the middle of a Middle Eastern country. But it's a picture of glory. And it's in that place of glory that we find our rest. That we find the presence of God in a way that we cannot fully that we, way we cannot fully appreciate, a way that we cannot fully comprehend, a way that we are limited here because of sin. But there, there. See, just like those spies came back with reports about this land of rest, so too we. We have reports, do we not, about that place, the presence of God. And Canaan serves as but an example of that rest. Thirdly, the author's point that he is pressing here is that even though that land of rest was there, they failed to enter it. It was there before the Jewish people. It was there before those who came out of Egypt. It was there before those who had gone through the exodus. It was there before those who had stood before Mount Sinai. It was there before the testimony of God's provisions and miracles along that journey. It was there. It was there. Canaan was right there, just a few miles more. But they failed to enter. What does the author tell us is the reason? Listen to verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. They received the good news. Interesting, isn't it? Right? The Jews of the Old Testament received the gospel, they had the news. But they failed to enter because of their disobedience, because of their lack of faith, because of no faith. They rejected God's promise. They rejected God's word. They rejected God's truth. They said, no, we don't don't want to go there. Obstacles are too big. Too many problems. Let's go back to Egypt again. Let's go back into bondage. Let's go back into slavery. We don't want to enter the rest of God. We don't want to enter, you see, the presence of God. 
See, we have to understand this in the larger picture. Canaan is the representation of the presence of God, the land of rest. And they're saying, we don't want to enter it. That's what's going on in Isaiah chapter 58 in regards to the Sabbath. They don't want to keep the Sabbath day. But what is the Sabbath day? It's the picture of rest. What do you mean? It's the picture of being in God's presence. Well, I don't really want to do that. I'd rather do my own stuff. I'd rather be involved in my own activities. I'd rather run my business. I don't want to take time to think about being in the presence of God. See, God uses the Sabbath as a litmus test. He uses this day as a test. How desirous are you to being in my presence? That's what Isaiah 58 is about. He's looking at his people. He's saying, you come to worship, you offer your sacrifices, you do all the stuff. But you know, when it comes to the Sabbath, you folks really aren't invested. You're more interested in your own concerns. You're interested more in your own pursuits. You're interested in your own enjoyment. Meaning what? Meaning they're not really interested in being in the presence of God. They're not interested in rest. That's why God deals so severely with that. That's why the commandment on the fourth day is the longest one. Why? Because it is very severe to turn one's back upon the Sabbath. Because when one turns one's back upon the Sabbath, one is turning one's back upon the rest, the very presence of God. It's saying, my joy, my satisfaction, my happiness is not found in God. I find it elsewhere. Which is the very same thing that the people of Israel do at Kadesh Barnea. They turn their back on the Lord. Literally. Canaan's before them. They say, nope, we're going the other way. They failed to enter God's rest. So what happens? What does the passage do? Verse 7. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long ago in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. It's another call that we hear over and over and over again through the book of Hebrews. Repent. Repent. You know, in that scene at Kadesh Barnea that day, you had the 10 spies gave their report. Joshua and Caleb gave theirs. People say, no, we don't want to enter. In the very next chapter, Joshua and Caleb plead with the people, repent, do not do this great wickedness. Repent, turn 
here comes the author of Hebrews to the people of his day and through the breathed out word of God to us today. Do you really want to enter God's rest? Is that really your passion? Do you really want to be in the presence of God for all of eternity? But your life isn't matching up. Your life doesn't show it. The decisions you make don't reflect it. Repent. Repent. Today. Not tomorrow. Not next week. Not next year. Today. It's the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. And then, notice what happens in verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of a day later on. Well, what's going on there? Remember, this is under the heading, the failure to enter that rest. And remember what they have to do, right? So finally, 40 years later, after wandering in the wilderness, they come back. They cross over Jordan. They enter in. Joshua, the great military commander of the host of the army of the Lord, leads them into battle. Victory after victory after victory. Right? Jericho falls. The five kings of the south fall. The 31 kings of the north fall. And then Joshua, after all of that, says, okay, now, each of you go to your inheritance and wipe out the rest of these pagans that are occupying these cities and villages and towns. What did they do? They went to their inheritance, but what didn't they do? Tribe after tribe after tribe after tribe failed to what? Drive out the inhabitants in their lands. Did they ever then enter the rest that God had promised? No. Why? Because they left those inhabitants. And what did those inhabitants do? They enticed them into what? Into pagan idolatry. Do they really want to enter the presence of God? No, we're just pretty satisfied with living in this spot. But God said, now clear them all out. And they said, no, we don't want to do that. Do they really want to experience the presence of God? And the answer is no. So verse 8 is saying, even Joshua, even your greatest military commander that you ever had, the greatest general you ever had, didn't provide the true rest that was given to you in God's promise. Why? Because you failed to enter the rest. Because you failed to deal with the sin that is within. You failed to deal with the sin that was in the boundary of Judah. The sin that was in the boundary of Asher. The sin that was in the boundary of Naphtali. And of Benjamin. And of Ephraim. And of Manasseh. And of Gad. 
So you see, Canaan is not the end in itself. The people of God, Israel at that time, did not experience the fullness of that rest because they failed to deal with that remaining sin. So we've had the promise of rest, the examples of rest, the failure to enter that rest, and now fourthly, the Sabbath rest. Pick it up with me again at verse 9. So then, there does remain a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There does remain. The Sabbath rest of being in God's presence remains a promise. Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are those who die in the Lord from this day forward. They rest from their labors and their works do follow them. They have a rest. There remains then, you see, for the people of God, a rest. Oh, it's not a Sabbath day. It's not the Lord's day. It's not Canaan. It's glory. It's that where we as believers enter upon the moment of our death. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's still there. And as I said a few moments ago, today is but a taste. It's just a taste. Right? Think about that in terms of of sitting down to to a good meal. Okay? Some of you are probably going to do that this Thanksgiving. Right? Any of you snitchers? Right? Any of you snitchers? Any of you carve just a little bit of that turkey and just take a little? <laughs> it's just but a taste of that which is to come. Get some of that nice crispy skin, right? Maybe even dip it in a little gravy and it's, <laughs> oh, how long before we eat? Right? Today is but a taste. How long? How long before we eat, Lord? How long before that day? There remains. It's still there. It isn't void. COVID can't take it away. Government can't take it away. Elections can't take it away. War can't take it away. Famine can't take it away. Hardship can't take it away. Difficulty can't take it away. Stress, strain can't take it away. The Sabbath rest that remains for you and I. The meal, the meal will be served. It's going to come. We might have to wait. Who knows how long we have to wait? When you're a little kid, right? That half hour that mom tells you between that little sample you had seems like, what, an eternity. As you get older, seems a little bit less, but it still seems a far ways off. 
but it's coming. There remains then a Sabbath rest for God's people. But you and I need to strive to enter that rest. What does that mean? It means you and I have some work to do. It means you and I have some inner work to do. You and I have some inner cleansing to do. We have to deal with our sin. We have to deal with mortifying that sin. We need to drive out of our lives as much sin. Now, we know this is all the work of God, right? Okay, but let's go back to the example. Judah, you've now inherited your plot of land. I gave it to you. I did all these miracles. I brought you through the exodus. Now get to work and remove the rest. Don't just sit there. Sitting there means you really don't want to enter my presence. It's not conditional on what we do, but it's an attitude. Right? That's what's going on in Isaiah 58. Yeah, you fast, but you don't have the right attitude. We need to strive. We need to strive. We, 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 we've got to think about this in terms of we have been given a commission by God. And the commission by God is this. Drive out sin from your life. We need to strive daily to do that. How? Do you notice what text now follows? A text that I think perhaps we often misplace. What's the text? For the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. What's he saying? Why is that there? Is he saying that because that's our offensive weapon? Go now into the world? <laughs> no. He's not saying take the word of God into the world. He's saying take that word into your heart. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It will indeed accomplish the purpose for which it is given. It is God's word. And the, God's word is that which we need to so fully consume that sin cannot rest in us because we are resting in Christ. Augustine said, my heart, Lord, does not rest until it rests in thee. May the Lord God May the Lord God work in our hearts that we hear his voice today and we take his word and we apply it not to those out there not to someone else not to somebody else we think needs to hear this message but we apply it to our own heart and we allow that word to pierce us Because the truth is, it's all laid before God anyway. God just wants us to see what he sees.
And when we see what he sees, we'll understand there is work to be done. There is sin to be mortified. Because we desire to be forever in his presence. And God's people say, amen. Father, again, we thank you for your word, for this passage, which perhaps as we read it is hard for us to decipher where this is all going. But as we stop and look and examine passage after passage, word after word, Verse after verse, we begin to see the message that you desire for us to hear, which is plain. It's obvious. We just need to take the time to listen to you speak. Hear us, Lord, as we come to you this morning and pray. Take your word. Plant it deep in us that we might live for your glory. And for your praise, this day, tomorrow, and indeed, Lord, in the promise of your word for all of eternity, till we, till we stand someday by that sea of crystal, gathered with the saints, singing unto you belongs honor and glory and praise and blessing from this time forth forevermore in Christ. God's people say, Amen.